0: Hi, I'm Noam Wasserman, Dean of the Sci Sims School of Business at Yeshiva University. I was a longtime professor at Harvard Business School, an entrepreneur, and a venture capitalist. I wrote the bestseller, The Founder's Dilemmas.
1: And I'm Charlie Harari. I've been working with companies for over 10 years. And that book, Founder's Dilemmas, and the challenges faced by the 10,000 founders in it, is the basis of this podcast. We are delving into the issues faced by startups to help you avoid the pitfalls that claim so many good companies.
0: Let's get started.
1: Welcome to the Founders Dilemmas podcast. I'm here with Dean Wasserman. Uh, we are in a Q&A section um, and we get to be able to answer some of your questions. Of course, you could always ask us questions. Founders podcast at gmail.com. I'm Charlie Harari. Dean, great to see you. What do you have for us today?
0: Likewise, Charlie. Great to always see you and uh, have fun with battling back and forth in terms of a bunch of these questions that we have from our listeners. Um, This one comes from someone who supports and guides founders. Um, First, a little bit about Karasatov, a little bit of appreciation that he expresses. So uh, we we can phrase it in terms of specifically for you, Charlie. If I can take a moment to express my tremendous thanks for your remarkable podcast. I've been listening to the audio version, and it's provided a tremendously helpful lens through which to view many of the situations situations that I see in my work. I believe that the principles equally apply to low tech small businesses and to services businesses rather than just the Silicon Valley venture capital-type startups? Many folks make benefit if you could flesh that out. And so I think it's a great question unto wow. itself, um, but also it's an opportunity for us to review a bunch of the things that we've covered. Um, I actually disagree a little bit with the assertion that they apply equally across all the different types of organizations people might start, but we can definitely get into a bunch of things about what is universal, what is idiosyncratic to – high-potential ventures and other things like that. We might also split it up into for-profit versus non-profit. Uh, in general, what we've been assuming is the for-profit side. Um, but uh, in terms of being able to have the different categories of organizations that have been started, you got for-profit and non-profit. Within for-profit, we have high-potential ventures and lifestyle businesses. Uh, we'll also have, coming up, by the way, hopefully um, an episode or two that we might do with a non-profit founder. And so then we'll be able to really pull apart some of these things. But I would say in general that the first half of the life cycle that we have covered is applicable to almost every new organization. Every founder or entrepreneur, as we called it back then, every potential founder has to go through the same examining whether this is for me, preparing to found all the things that we covered when it comes to the three circumstances you have to assess uh, the market circumstances, the career circumstances, the personal circumstances that any founder, even the founder of a nonprofit has to decide, is this for me? Is this the right timing for me? Have I set myself up with the skills, the career readiness um, and the contacts and things like that, that went into the uh, that examination, the personal readiness and things like that. Those all pretty much apply to just about any founder across any of those types of organizations that we were talking about. Same kind of process, the same kind of approach, the checklist of which skills are you going to need as a founder of any of these organizations? And then if I have the blessing of time, what can I be able to put in place to be able to check off the boxes that are unchecked? Um, All of the preparing to found types of things that we've been talking about, um, I think would apply across any of those types of organizations. And then when you're deciding to uh, to ramp up to found and stuff like that, um, when you're talking about the founding team, the bringing the hires, other things like that, we talked about the three R's, the decisions that you make around the relationships you're going to ha- the tap, where you're going to look for those co-founders. Is it going to be friends of yours, family, uh, prior coworkers, workers uh, relatively acquaintances or strangers and things like that? Um, the second of the R's, the roles in decision-making. Uh, third of the R's, the rewards. Um, any for-profit is going to face all three of the R's. Um, the exception that I would paint is in the nonprofit realm. If you will, we can say there's going to be two and a half of the R's. Uh, There's no real equity ownership to split. Um, So there's some of the key things that we had to focus on within uh, the founding teams that one wouldn't apply to the nonprofits, but otherwise same kind of things, even in nonprofits of deciding on the relationships, the roles of decision-making the financial rewards from the perspective of the pay and other things like that, that uh, people are going to get the the compensation. Um, And then finally, one just to wrap in a recent uh, one that we've had with the interview that we did with Jill Gade, the, Um, the the founder CEO of Cross River Bank, when you are creating that early team and the culture within it. He talked about the values-driven culture, the way in which those should be informing just about everything that you are doing, maintaining the culture as you are growing. Um, Those, if anything, are going to be more challenging within high-potential ventures like Cross River Bank, Um, within nonprofits, within the lifestyle types of businesses, the small businesses, should be even more of a focus on the culture and maintaining it, um, and not be challenged by the growth side of it. Um, one of the other things that he teed up also within that uh, uh, within that episode, uh, being innovative where there are constraints. Uh, for him, the constraints were regulatory, and he talked about how it was actually uh, pretty much turning it into a strength for them of being able to be an innovative founder within it. Um, uh, that regulation, those constraints, even more so in nonprofits about the, the ways in which you might have some of those guardrails, some of the things that are gonna be, um, uh, what th- look to be challenges, but that you could be innovative even in a nonprofit of being able to find um, the best way to approach it, to be able to really bring to the market um, something that is not having the impact on the, the, the domains that uh, you wanna be able to do within the nonprofit. Um, and so overall, I would say that for that first half of things, um, those are pretty echoing of uh, universalisms rather than idiosyncratic, We can also get into where the differences start, which is a little bit after that, when it comes to board, investors, exits, and things like that. Uh, But to me, that's at least in terms of tackling the first of them, where it applies equally is gonna be a lot of the things that we covered with the first half of the life cycle.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. And I feel in in many cases, what happens sometimes, I'm not saying it's happening here with this this, um, listener. um, We end up, a lot of times when you hear business stuff, you end up attaching the example with the lesson um, and then not getting the ultimate lesson, right? And I see this, so you see this everywhere, right? You know, recently I was in a room and we were having a conversation about the company um, and the CEO was basically drawing from the giants and how the new head coach is reforming and and his entire, so to speak, presentation was about football, um, which I personally liked, but his ability to extract out the GM and his role, and the head coach and his role, and the coordinators, and how each of the pieces fit in to drive a company forward. In fact, I think it was is um, it John Doerr who wrote the book Measure What Matters, um, uh, which is his introduction to the uh, OKR system, it's an inc- I find an incredible book, Andy Grove, Google. And way he shows the OKR system, which he applied to Google, and he applied to the Gates Foundation. So you've got, you know, your your big for-profit and non-profit. One of his key examples is a football team and how that plays out. And so what's critical when you're hearing these podcasts, or really any podcast, is taking the time to extract out the lesson. And to your point earlier, not only I think this, you know, the three Rs and, and other of these key issues apply. Um, to the, the the tech and low tech. I also think it applies sort of where you are in the cycle of a company or a division. You know, many times if you're listening to this and you're going, I don't, I'm not I'm starting a company. I'm just sitting in a division of another of a large company, and the division's failing. Well, guess what? Well, if the division's failing, you know the relationships that you have and who's doing what and the roles and the rewards is is super applicable to a company that's been around for 50 years and one little division, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That one little division in a big company has the same basics of of the infrastructure that you need to be successful as a Silicon Valley startup. So as you're hearing these lessons it, it takes the time um, to really sh- extract out what's the lesson that's being driven here, um, and can it apply? And you'll see that for for much of what we're discussing, although the startup culture and the startup you know um, environment sort of leads to more exciting examples, and it's less exciting to talk about you know sort of the. You know, the AP department of a, a, a massive real estate company. But guess what? The AP department that's now functioning at a higher level is doing just as much good, if you will, for that larger company than, than you know, the, the startup that started it, you know an app. Um, and I think that's part of the, the, the challenges um, that we see is being able for people to take lessons from anywhere in the business world and sort of dust off all the particulars of the example pull out the lesson and then see how they can apply it into their business.
0: Yeah. So you're exactly right about being able to generalize. It's one of the things that we've tried, maybe we haven't done enough, but we try to be able to have people see the echoes of these human issues in every walk of life um, that uh, founders are human. (laughs) They have the same biases. They have the same inclinations that all of us have. And what can we learn from how they are able to find sometimes counterintuitive approaches to, you know, to solve those biases, being able to tune into them and, the other entrepreneurial mindset things that we've been focusing on that apply, as you're saying, in large companies, in teams within them, um, uh, whether it's that you are starting any of these types of ventures that the listener was asking about. Um, All of these are hopefully echoes that the human element um, is going to be applicable in any of those walks of life. Um, In terms of getting into some of the differences, um, uh, where it's going to be a bit different, they're within high potential ventures. And as we talked about um, about halfway through the first season, when you are creating a board of investor, a board of directors, when you are bringing in investors, um, those types of things are going to be a little bit different uh, when it comes to high potential ventures. If you're just doing the mom and pop, small business, the life cycle, the lifestyle business, and things like that, then you are necessarily going to be bringing in outside money. You're not going to have to worry about a bunch of the investor things that we talked about with terms of investment being able to get. A little bit of a competition going among multiple them, multiple uh, investors, so that you'll be able to have a little bit better negotiating power than you would be able to have otherwise. If you are just self funding it, if you are um, doing a bunch of what's called bootstrapping, that you take either the money that you've saved or the internally generated cash, plowing it back into the into the venture, um, into whatever the organization is, then you won't have to worry about taking outside money. So that's going to be a, dif- a difference. And a lot of times, the board of directors that you create because those investors want to be able to have some protection over their investment. They want to be able to have some say and do their fiduciary duties to their own investors, things like that. The board that you're going to have to create might be a bit different. At the same time, we also talked about the benefits to founders of having some of the discipline of a board, having the guidance that comes from advisors that they'd be able to be serving as board members, a little bit more engaged possibly, that they have an official board seat and other things like that. And so when you're creating a board, sometimes even if you aren't forced to by taking investor money, it might make sense for you to be able to create that type of a thing. Now, we just had recently our Q&A that we had about FTX's founder and the way he approached having a neutered board, no discipline for that founder, the fraud that he was creating, there was no one with the oversight to be able to check it or anything like that. Um, And so even those types of things can happen in the for-profit realm, but anyone should be thinking about how to get the best advice, how to be able to get the best engagement from people, how to be able to fill in your holes. The board can sometimes play a key part of that. And when you're creating that, the fundamentals of structure and process within the board should be pretty similar to the things that we covered. Um, <clears throat> when we're talking about also the, the nonprofits, and when you're talking about investors, there's the equivalent of those within the nonprofit realm. Instead of being venture capitalists, you might have venture philanthropists. Um, you might have donations and donors that are you're raising things from grants that you're trying to get. Uh, Being able to tune in in the same way that we talked about understanding where there might be misalignment, where there might be a different approach and mindset that your investors are taking to it. Being able to tune in to the grant organization, to uh, the venture philanthropist, what is their mindset going to be? What are their worries going to be when they're doing due diligence on me? Uh, What are the other things that you might be having the misalignment that you have to work extra to be able to understand each other and be able to align? Um, Those are the same kind of fundamentals that would apply even in a nonprofit that's looking to take money from some of those outside people.
1: You know it's interesting, and, and I think this is maybe a, a takeaway lesson for our listeners. Um, it it takes time to convert properly, right? And if you if those of you who are familiar with the language of Hebrew, you'll know that Hebrew is a is a different has a different. It's it's uh it's in, in English is left to right. right yeah. Right, Hebrew is right to left. Right to left. And so even some of the words and how the expressions go, and you know the adjectives and the nouns. Is, is transferable and so many times when you're translating Hebrew to English or English to Hebrew it takes a little bit more thought to actually convert the, the expressions and get it. Because um, they don't really translate as, as smoothly. This is really I think the same metaphor in that many times we translate concepts but we don't take the time to fully get it. So I'll be sitting in a room of a nonprofit, let's say And someone will be like, well, in the business world, or he knows this stuff because he comes from the business world, or, you know, when Elon Musk did, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll think through the example and it doesn't really apply. But because there is a concept in the business world, it gets put into the nonprofit world without really converting properly. And as a result, it leads them down a path that doesn't really work. Right, you can't scale as easily in the nonprofit world, or the product doesn't really have the capacity to have these many millions of people because the market of this nonprofit is a small little community, like you know in Jersey and the Long Island. Like as you think through being able to take lessons, you have to convert it. And so the two things I want to sort of leave for our listeners is there's lessons everywhere, and the real wisdom is learning from places that are not so obvious. And knowing how to take founders lessons that are being applied to a startup and put them into a 100-year-old nonprofit and being able to do that in the way the dean did and the way others do is critical because you have to draw the right lessons and not the wrong lessons. But that's one. But let me take you to two and then maybe you can just, you know, toggle with this and tell me what you think. A lot of times as the dean mentioned there are things that are in place because of, of of bad acts, because of mistakes, right? If you look at the banking industry, a lot of the stuff that's in the banking industry is because of bad banking. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's why. People wanted to get rich on someone else's back, so they made terrible mortgages and cut them up and sold them. And now there's lots of people that are, have foreclosed in their homes. So as a result, they have to create guardrails. In your industry, there may not be guardrails, but you may learn a lot from the guardrails that were put into someone else's injury, like you said earlier, like you may ha- you may be in running a division of a company, or maybe in a mo- in a, in a, in a mom, mom and pop, or maybe in a nonprofit, and you don't need a board. But guess what? Boards are important because they're fiduciaries to the sh- shareholders, and being able to check your stuff against smart people's is a is a good idea. It's annoying. You like to make your own calls. You would like to not have them look over your shoulders. You like to have a a, a toothless board. But if you're playing a long game. Smart people that you have to check into is a really good idea. And if you're on, if you're running a nonprofit or if you're in a company and you're not using your money, you may, may, you may be soft with someone else's dollars. I was talking to someone recently about um, the use of a, um, a certain consultant. And they're saying to me, like, yeah, we're nonprofit, we're we're for-profit, but you know, they did nonprofit work. And I was saying to them, well, sometimes nonprofits spend more money on consultants than for-profits, because nonprofits don't spend their own money many times. I'm not all of them, but lots of times you'll find that high-priced consultants make more inroads in nonprofits. So sometimes if you're running a nonprofit and you know if you lose money, it's not coming out of your paycheck, but you apply to yourself and to the team the same discipline as that founder who has to pull money out of his pocket to make payroll. So wherever you are, this is critical thinking. One, how do I extract lessons from things that are not like me? And two, how do I take things that are not applicable to me but can be beneficial to me and put them in? And I think those two pieces could be critical for.
0: Yeah, so to give you an example about moving across the divide, taking the best practices from one domain and bringing it to the other. Uh, So about a decade ago, we started a new high school here in Boston. Uh, It came to be called Yeshiva Zor Yisrael. And uh, a critical thing that I was able to do there, I was the founding chairman of the board, was take things that I had learned over the prior decade about startup boards, about best practices, around governance, around being able to plan for scaling um, a lot of times, typically when a school is started, there'll be an initial board they'll bring on with a few of the parents. Usually they will look, going back to our homophily concept, birds of a feather flocking together, that board will look very similar. It'll be very similar people on it. There'll be a lot of holes that would be left in terms of capabilities. It wouldn't be built to be able to scale into something that's going to be a larger high school board, if you will. Um, and so... That causes problems of boards of nonprofits having to transition at a key inflection point to a brand new model, being able to get more formal, being able to get more professional, being able to check off boxes in the capabilities realm. What we did was we took a bunch of the best practices from the startups and the other governance arenas that I had been studying, and we built Yeshiva or Israel's board. To be able to be scalable and to be able to check off a whole bunch of the boxes that we've talked about. When it comes to founding teams, what are the key things you need to be able to succeed? What is that checklist going to do in terms of driving who is going to be on the board? Make sure you have at least one person being able to check off each of the key skills. That's what we built in terms of the board for this nonprofit. And we were taking a whole bunch of the for-profit best practices, incorporating that in. And now a decade later, with now there's verging on almost 50 boys who are in that school, um, it is still, still the same exact board structure. It is still the same approach. It, uh, from the beginning, we had an expert in finance. We had an expert in education. We had an expert in like each of the boxes that we had on the checklist that we had to be able to fill and that has continued now of our being able to add. There's some new players, each of them is now filling in that same box that was critical back then. Um, There are a few ones that we've grown in terms of adding things as it's grown but otherwise the same process, the same structure, the same composition and things like that of the board is the same kind of thing because we were able to take those longer term perspectives, be able to take the best practices from for-profit and take a small high school that was being built and be able to build it for the future and be able to have it be scalable.
1: Wow. Um, so, okay. So anybody who is interested, please feel free to reach out to us. Thank you so much for that incredible question. And I hope that we provided some value to you. Um, please feel free to continue to ask us questions, at gmail.com um, And we look forward to seeing you on future episodes and feel free. If there are things that you want us to cover, reach out to us and we look forward to doing so. Take care. And we look forward to seeing you next time.